Folks, it is my pleasure to introduce Kaelin Rovanescu. I'd like to begin by pointing out the obvious, namely that every sector experiences its highs and lows. In many cases, the best one can wish for is more smooth takeoffs than rough landings. And as we know, the airline industry, domestic and global, has experienced more than its fair share of turbulence. So imagine you are Mr. Rovanescu. Your airline has recently been named Canada's preferred carrier by frequent business, uh, frequent business travelers. Torontonians are singing your praises because they can now fly nonstop to the Big Easy any day of the year. And you are getting ready to announce that third quarter operating income is 381% higher than the same period last year. You casually check your email only to discover how quickly a Halloween mask can burst a guy's balloon. Air Canada needs a steady hand at the wheel, a captain who knows how to keep his eyes on the road or the horizon as it were. And by all accounts, Kalen Rovanescu is that kind of CEO. A seasoned executive and strategist, Mr. Rovanescu has been credited with many of Air Canada's positive strides of late. Employing 26,000 Canadians flying to over 170 destinations from 60 Canadian communities and serving over 32 million customers annually, Air Canada is enjoying spikes in public opinion and profitability that had evaded the national icon for years. And now, a year and a half after returning to Air Canada as President and CEO, Mr. Rovanescu has a big vision for Toronto. In his quest to elevate Air Canada from the 14th largest to one of the leading carriers in the world, Mr. Rovanescu has plans to help our great city become a global world-class gateway and an international business class hub. He has recently pointed out that in the last year, the number of US passengers who have traveled to Toronto on their way to international destinations has doubled. And I'm convinced he has some pretty specific thoughts on how we should be capitalizing on that trend. Our guest speaker is a graduate of the University of Ottawa, the University of Montreal, and McGill University. He's a member of the Quebec and Ontario Bar Associations. He is an alumnus of Steichman Elliott LLP and Genuity Capital Markets. He serves on too many board, uh, corporate and not-for-profit boards to mention, and he is here to speak about Connecting the World, a new Canadian aviation policy. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcome, welcoming Mr. Kalen Rovanescu. Well, with all that uh, research that Nick did here, I think he sort of uh, co covers half my speech. Any questions? Um, I am, uh, given the nice weather outside, I thought that I would uh, follow the uh, tried and tested miniskirt rule long enough to cover <laughs> long enough to cover the essentials, but short enough to keep your attention. So. Um, We'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll look to see uh, uh, if I can get this uh, through in half an hour and convince you that Toronto actually has some enormous opportunities right now if we play our cards uh, correctly. I think as Nick pointed out, uh, this, is, uh, this is a time for, for Toronto to excel and once we've got the, uh, uh, the wind in our sails, so to speak, uh, good things can happen. I know most of you are familiar with uh, Air Canada, and in fact, when I look at a room like this, I wonder how many, how many companies, how many businesses have the, uh, the privilege of saying that somebody 
uh, most people in this room have been customers of ours at some stage in the last 12 months. I mean, that is a unique privilege that Air Canada enjoys. It's one that I take extremely seriously, and the, and the management team that works at Air Canada uh, is mindful of the, of the privileged uh, place that we occupy in so many parts of this, uh, of this country. People, despite the fact that Nick did his homework, people are often surprised when I quote some statistics relating to uh, our company. And they don't fully appreciate the breadth and scope of our operations uh, here in Toronto and on a network-wide basis. Air Canada is the 15th or 14th, depending on which day you look at, 14th or 15th largest airline in the world based on traffic. And there are almost 1,000 airlines in the world. So stop and ask yourself, how many 15th or 14th largest anythings are there from Canada? Uh, and the answer is not that many. Significantly, we've grown to this size, even though Canada is, of course, only about 36th in terms of population. So as a nation, we certainly punch above our weight uh, in aviation. Each day, we operate more than uh, 1,300 flights, which equates to an Air Canada flight taking off somewhere every minute of every day. We have 26,000 employees stationed on five continents throughout the world and nearly $11 billion now in annual revenue. In the course of a year, 31 or 32 million people, virtually the entire population of Canada, walk through our aircraft doors. On a typical day, we can fly the equivalent of the entire population of the city of Guelph and their baggage. And every year, we board more than 15 million cocktail swizzle sticks. Toronto is our biggest and most important hub. Each day, more than 650 Air Canada mainline and jazz flights arrive and depart from Pearson. On any given day, about 50,000 of our customers pass through this airport. We have 11,500 people, employees in Toronto, and a payroll in this city alone of about a billion dollars. Just this past summer, we hired uh, over 500 people in Toronto at a time when obviously uh, everybody knows that uh, Toronto is still hit by the recession harder than uh, many other places in Canada, and unemployment continues at a rate of about 9.2%. So I don't think there were that many companies that hired 500 people here this past year, and so we're continuing to invest and take some risk in this market. We're a big company in a very tough and competitive environment. In my 18 months on the job, our operation has been disrupted by volcanoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, and last Christmas, we received a nice gift of an underwear bomber on another airline that uh, turned our global security upside down yet again. Certainly most challenging of all was the severe recession uh, that we faced starting at the end of 2008-2009, which reduced our business by as much as 30% in key markets, such as the Pacific, for example. Encouragingly, the airline uh, business, according to the IATA statistics, uh, is improving around the world, and estimates are that uh, the airline industry generally will have $9 billion of profit this year, but that is a razor-thin margin of less than 2%. So, you know, this is a, an industry that is extremely challenged. For our part, we worked through significant challenges that threatened Air Canada's very existence last year. But even in the darkest uh, depths, 
We were planning our return, and we vowed to win the customer back. And we did just that. As we ended 2009, Air Canada was named Skytrax's best airline in North America in a survey of 17 million frequent travelers. And 2010 has been a pretty good year so far. Our stock price has almost tripled since the start of the year, and virtually all the research analysts covering the company have a buy rating on us. Last week, we reported one of the best quarterly operating results in our history, with operating income of $327 million, as Nick indicated, close to 400% over last year's period. Our planes flew more than 84% full in the third quarter. Passenger revenue year-to-date has increased $780 million, and cargo revenue has increased 34% over the same period. Traffic is up 8.5% overall, with growth in virtually all markets, led by a spectacular 22% growth in the Pacific. And remember, Canadian GDP growth this year is expected to be less than 3%. So we're seeing 22% growth in the Pacific uh, at a time when we're obviously domestically looking at minimal growth in this country. We've doubled our liquidity, more than doubled our liquidity, and now have over $2.2 billion cash and short-term investments, and have opened up significantly new capital sources and markets in both the United States and Canada. Now, these achievements did not happen by chance. They are the direct result of very hard work by 26,000 people, of whom I am very proud. I'm also proud of the strong leadership and responsibility shown by our five Canadian unions as we worked through the challenges of 2009. Our strong sense of partnership and support shown by Aeroplan and Jazz, ACE, and other large suppliers and our travel trade partners, many of whom are in the room, who stood beside us in 2009. Now, as any of you who work or have worked in a large organization would know, it's not always easy to get everyone working in the same direction towards a common goal, especially in the kind of business that we are in. An airline is a 24-7 business with reliance on aircraft and engine manufacturers, maintenance, repair, and overhaul shops, IT, screening, security, international language and training issues, etc., etc., etc. But you have to start somewhere, so we started by identifying a small number of key priorities that we were determined to tackle and by relentlessly focusing on them. Let me just uh, recap these briefly before we get on to Toronto. We have a cost transformation program <clears throat> that is aimed at achieving $530 million in sustainable annual cost and revenue improvements by the end of 2011. And we are right on track, having already achieved our $300 million improvement this year. We have committed to our shareholders, however, that we will maintain the discipline, including not succumbing to the temptation to add new aircraft to our fleet unless and until we have a compelling business case and a cost structure to do so. With respect to customer service, we're playing to our strengths rather than viewing our legacy as a weakness. You know, Air Canada is 70 years old, and people viewed that as a, a difficult uh, challenge for us. But we're viewing the strengths of Air Canada rather than trying to convert ourselves 
into something that we cannot be, which is a, uh, a low-cost producer that is uh, you know, rushing towards the bottom. We are therefore actively transforming the way we engage our customers, with particular emphasis on our premium business product, on the services we offer, and our reputation for safety and reliability. Thirdly, we're changing the very culture at Air Canada. Significant progress has been made towards becoming a more welcoming, entrepreneurial, and nimble company. In addition to our Best Airline in North America award, I think this is what Nick was alluding to, an Ipsos Reid Business Traveler survey last month found we are now the favorite airline of 71% of business travelers in Canada. Fourthly, we're building on our position as one of the world's leading international carriers. And this is where Toronto comes in. Along with Canada's advantageous geographic location, Air Canada has a vast network supported by a wide array of bilateral authorities that enable us to fly virtually anywhere in the world. More than this, we're a founding partner of the 27-member Star Alliance, the largest airline alliance of its kind in the world. Through STAR, we can seamlessly connect passengers with carriers that fly to nearly 1,200 airports in 180 countries. And this connecting traffic drives both growth and profitability. Already this year, despite the challenges of the recession, we've added new flights to Copenhagen, Brussels, Barcelona, Athens, and Geneva. We'll start service to Haneda Airport in Tokyo this spring, in addition to continuing our service to Narita. We've added new service to Rome and Mexico City from Montreal and Vancouver. So we're determined to take risk where risk makes sense. We've also increased capacity to Asia dramatically year over year and now fly nonstop daily from both Toronto and Vancouver to Beijing, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Tokyo. As mentioned, our Pacific traffic is up 22%, and this past summer we flew 70 times a week on 10 routes between Canada and the five major Asian cities. Put another way, and this from the background that I came from, that this was significant for me, based on capital deployment, we deploy more than $2 billion in aircraft exclusively to our Asian routes. Imagine any Canadian manufacturer building a $2 billion factory in China. That would be a big deal. Everybody would be... Uh, uh, would be clapping and congratulating, well, you know, we spend $2 billion exclusively in Asia. Um, aviation services are different, of course, from bricks and mortar, but the financial commitment in equipment is, is meaningful and is the same. Significant commitment of resources and demonstrates that we are serious about serving this important market and making Toronto and Vancouver global gateways to Asia. Asia will continue to grow in importance for us. Last year, intra-Asia travel exceeded that of North America, and IATA predicts that by 2013, an additional 217 million travelers will take to the skies within Asia-Pacific. The recent grant of approved destination status to Canada will also stimulate Chinese tourism. It is our emphasis on international growth that I want to focus on today. This is because Toronto, in particular, stands to be a major beneficiary of this. We firmly believe that we can build a global hub for international air traffic right here in Toronto. 
This can be our chance and Canada's chance to shine on the global stage, to play in the truly big leagues. The global marketplace is increasingly becoming a battle of international hubs. And as the industry increasingly channels traffic through these select hubs, we see massive opportunities for Toronto. The GTAA, the authority that oversees Pearson, has made many significant improvements, including terminal investments. This has enabled us to concentrate all our operations and those of our star partners under a single roof, thereby facilitating transfer traffic. Connections are now seamless, and crossing international borders is as easy as transiting from a domestic to an international flight. Among other things, Toronto has a fantastic geographic advantage. You'll see the catchment area. Pearson is located in the heart of one of the most populous regions of North America. It is the center of a very large catchment area of potential customers and is also a destination for even larger number of business and leisure travelers. Remarkably, a quarter of Canada's total population is located within 160 kilometers of Toronto. The airport is also within a one-day drive or a short-haul flight for 150 million people, more than 40% of the U.S. population. So leave this slide up for a second, because to me this tells the whole story. Uh, this, you know, Toronto uh, can absolutely compete with the best hubs in North America, and this just takes a certain amount of uh, desire, risk, and investment. Flight times from here to Tokyo or Beijing, for example, are shorter or the same as from the major U.S. Eastern hubs such as New York and Chicago. And in addition, Toronto has better weather, as most of you will know, and far less air traffic congestion that often disrupts travel. So we will increasingly encourage the traffic, that traffic to flow over Toronto. We've had significant success marketing this over the last year in the U.S., for those passengers who must connect from secondary cities for international flights. And we've seen this traffic, which tends to be higher yielding more than double over the past year. This growth is also partly due to our new revenue sharing alliance that we call A++ or Atlantic++ with our partners Lufthansa and United, which now also includes Continental Airlines post their merger. We sell seats on the other as if we were de facto one large airline with one single network. In effect, we're striving for what we re refer to as metal neutrality, so that over time we become indifferent as to which carrier you fly over the Atlantic as long as it is one of the three. Earlier this month, we announced a similar venture in the Canada-US transborder market with the newly merged United, subject to obtaining regulatory approvals. We believe this agreement can be transformative. While we fly to 59 U.S. cities, United flies to 210 U.S. airports. So you can easily see how this will broaden the range of routings and destinations we'll now be able to offer our customers. But in order for Air Canada and Canada to capitalize on the advantages and potential that Toronto has as a global hub, we as a country need to recognize with certainty and conviction that the airline industry is indeed a powerful engine of economic growth in the same way that several other countries, especially emerging economies, have. To this end, I have been saying publicly for some time now that
that we need to amend the policy framework around our industry to make Canadian airlines more competitive with carriers around the world. And that means adjusting rates and charges and overall policies for airports, rail infrastructure, air navigation, security, fuel excise taxes, income taxes, trade policies, etc. Air Canada is recognized as the best airline in North America, and to my thinking, there's no reason why, in the right environment, uh, it cannot truly become a champion on a global scale. Economists tell us that transportation is one of the four sectors that are vital to our economy, along with finance, telecommunications, and natural resources. This is a well-documented, there is a well-documented correlation between air connectivity and economic growth. So any disincentive to travel effectively destimulates the economy. At a time when all countries are looking to promote competitiveness and economic growth, to find the next wave of so-called stimulus programs, enhancing the competitiveness of air travel should be a preferred way to achieve these twin goals. Airlines in general are at the center of the air transport industry. They are the focal point in an important value chain, globally and nationally, which includes feeding directly or indirectly these industries, manufacturers of airframes, engines, and mechanical systems, aviation services such as aircraft leasing, maintenance, fuel, insurance, airports, catering, and in-flight services, air navigation services, hotels, restaurants, car rental companies, travel agents and tourism companies, the cargo industry, etc., etc., etc. So we feed an awful lot of industries. And according to a recent independent study for the National Airlines Council, the air transport industry directly generated six and a half billion of Canada's GDP in 2009. The total GDP impact for the industry is estimated at about 12 billion. And once the aggregate economic impact, which economists uh, like to include direct, secondary, and so-called catalytic uh, economic drivers are taken into account, according to this study, that impact exceeds $35 billion in GDP. Air Canada's own contribution is estimated at slightly more than 50% of the Canadian industry, including that of foreign airlines operating here. So I think hopefully you will agree, and I will certainly argue that this is an industry that we as a country ought to be paying attention to. Outdated policies respecting aviation that originated with previous governments not only hobble airlines, but frankly, the entire country and the economy in this global environment. Even before the 2008 report called Compete to Win by the Competition Policy Review Panel that was chaired by Red Wilson, there was a lot of debate around whether or not it is desirable in Canada to nurture so-called global champions. We saw this debate again with the recent takeover attempt of Potash Corporation. In my view, Canada needs to be much more strategic as to maintaining corporate or global champions in industries that are core drivers for our economy, such as natural resources, transportation, telecommunications, and finance. As I've said before publicly, we cannot be Boy Scouts running around in short pants when it comes to global competitiveness, especially when we see what other countries are doing. Let me tell you, there is no such debate in Singapore 
as to whether or not to develop Singapore into a global trade hub or to nurture a global champion out of its pool of companies in such sectors as energy, metals, commodities, consumer and industrial products, or airlines. There's no such debate in Korea with respect to, say, Samsung. There's no such debate in the United States with respect to its Buy American Stimulus Program. Or closer to home, there's no such debate in the UAE, either with respect to the state's ownership, control, and aspirations for its ports and cargo infrastructure, or of more relevance to me, of its ownership, control, and aspirations for its airlines and airports. I commend the federal government for having the backbone to put the overall interests of Canadians before other considerations on these two issues that have been the subject of so much heated debate recently, the foreign takeover of Potash Corporation and the Canada-UAE bilateral air negotiations. In both cases, in my view, the government's actions are in the interests of Canadian commerce, Canadian jobs, and encouraging growth in the Canadian economy. There would be no net benefit for Canada caving in. This government's approach is key to assure the long-term viability of Canadian companies in two of the key sectors that drive our economy. A domestic framework is essential to becoming a global champion. So in Canada, with respect to our aviation industry, we need to decide. Do we want a viable airline industry in and from Canada with one or more major world-class gateways to complement fair open skies with other countries? Do we want direct access from Canada to Asia, to Europe and South America from multiple Canadian cities, including smaller markets such as Edmonton, Halifax and Ottawa? Do we care about competitive aviation costs based on comparable costs, particularly south of the border in light of the North American Free Trade Agreement? We can continue to debate, but as we do, other regions of the world are actively working to create global aviation hubs and gateways. In certain parts of the world, we're seeing impressive construction of massive airport capacity, exceeding Heathrow, Frankfurt, and Charles de Gaulle combined. We're seeing massive aircraft orders. We are seeing huge investment in rail infrastructure. So a competitive framework, at least in part, means addressing costs. Canada's aviation sector has taxation and other fiscal burdens, which are a net drain of resources from this critical sector. Air travel in this country is subjected to more sin taxes than tobacco or alcohol. And to make matters worse, funds collected from the industry are generally not reinvested in the industry or its infrastructure. This is in direct contrast to other places of the world, including the US, where carriers and air navigation services all receive fiscal support to enable them to fulfill the strategic role they play in the domestic economy and social connectivity. Airport rent, for example. Although Canada privatized its airports in 1992, the Consolidated Revenue Fund of Canada continues to collect nearly $300 million annually in rent for these facilities. This is something no other developed country does, and it drives up our costs dramatically, unfairly, thereby making Canada less competitive. Indeed, we increasingly see Canadians driving across the border to Buffalo, to Plattsburgh, to Seattle to get on flights because they are cheaper. Consider Buffalo. Nearly 40% of the cars parked at that airport's long-term spots are Canadian license uh, plates, and the airport is not shy about advertising the advantages on radio, billboards, and websites in the Toronto market. Yes, the price of a ticket 
on a low fare carrier out of Buffalo is less expensive than what Canadian competitors can offer, but that carrier does not pay a fuel excise tax, and that carrier can land a uh, A380 on average at less than half of what it costs to land here. The Air Traveler Security Surcharge. The Canadian industry paid more than $380 million from this in 2009, and early this year we understood that the fee is to be increased yet again by as much as 50%. Fuel excise taxes. In Ontario alone, in 2009, Air Canada paid some $31.5 million to the province in fuel excise taxes. So between airport rent, airport infrastructure, navigation fees and charges, and other direct and indirect taxes, we estimate Air Canada would save approximately $1 billion, $1 billion, if it was a U.S. airline with the same volume of business. This $1 billion could, of course, be reinvested to develop new routes, acquire new aircraft, create jobs, and build facilities. So uh, I'll be going after that, uh, that $1 billion uh, pretty aggressively in the, uh, in the coming months. A competitive framework also means a competitive, act, a competitive aviation infrastructure. Despite uh, decades of talk and some good work by the GTAA, we're still years away from having a high-speed airport link here in Toronto. We're getting close, but I don't see it. And it won't happen before 2015, I understand, at the earliest. Vancouver is the only city in this country with a rapid transit link. And the Olympics, I think, had a lot to do with that, uh, having been forced on the decision makers, leaving them with little choice but to accelerate. A competitive framework also means having balanced trade agreements. Air Canada is fully supportive of fair and balanced open skies with all countries where there is reciprocal demand. We've welcomed uh, liberalization agreements with the United States and more recently with the European Union, two of the most competitive markets in the world where there is real two-way demand with Canada. And we're actively encouraging agreements with other countries such as Japan. However, I work for shareholders and customers and have responsibility for some 26,000 people and 25,000 retirees. So we're not supportive of demolishing our hubs and gateways or turning over hard-earned network and flow traffic to state-supported carriers of other countries where there is no such reciprocal demand. Ultimately, this will translate into less economic activity, fewer jobs, and fewer routes served. A competitive framework for Canada also means partnerships with airports to build strong hubs that in turn become global gateways. International gateway airports like Toronto are considered by economists to generate far more value for their respective regional and national economies than regional hub or so-called stub airports. And with very few exceptions, international gateway airports develop because major carriers use them principally for their networks. I want to pause here and acknowledge the tremendous efforts of the GTAA who've been working in partnership with us to transform Pearson into a global hub. GTA is well represented in the room and congratulations to its CEO and chairman who are here. While our relationship has in the past been somewhat strained, I can tell you categorically that they get it. They understand the value of a global hub and of flow traffic. They have worked very hard to reduce costs and improve facilities. And their efforts are also getting recognized by others. At this year's IATA AGM in June, Pearson was named 
the world's most improved airport. So I guess the message I want to leave you with today is that collectively, you and we have huge opportunities right here in Toronto if we play our cards right. And if we have the right policy framework underpinning our industry. We have the very best airline in North America with our major hub right here in Toronto. At Pearson, we now have a fantastic facility from which to operate. Toronto is strategically situated from a geographic point of view to truly compete with the other global hubs of the world, such as Atlanta, Chicago, and Detroit. We have strategic alliances that will support new nonstop routes. We have aircraft on order that will make new nonstop routes viable. And this hub is already a major contributor to the local economy and a strong driver of jobs and spin-off activities. It also has significant further potential upside. And above all, I can tell you that Air Canada is developing the mindset, the culture, and the capabilities to win on a consistent, sustainable, and globally competitive basis. So with that, thank you very much. It was a pleasure speaking to all of you today, and I look forward to seeing you on our airplanes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Robinescu. I'd like to now call Gordon Rahman, director of the Canadian Club of Toronto, to the podium. Ladies and gentlemen, the most rewarding aspect of events such as these is the opportunity to hear from firsthand, firsthand from visionary Canadians about matters of significance. Mr. Robinescu, you are one such Canadian, and we are thankful you chose this podium to share your ambitions and significant message. There's no question that Toronto is open for business. As international cities go, cities that are ready and able to host the world and facilitate global prosperity, there are a few that can compare. We applaud and welcome your leadership as we strive to put our strategic attributes to best use. Mr. Rovanescu, it, it is exciting to see Air Canada doing well and to sense that Canadians are increasingly choosing your airline because they want to, not because we have to. We're optimistic that under your leadership, this trend will continue. On behalf of the Canadian Club of Toronto, thank you. Best of luck and please join us again soon. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Mr. Rovanescu, and thank you once more to Marsh Canada Limited for making today, today possible. This concludes our television programming, which has been broadcast on Rogers TV. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. Thank you, everyone here, for joining us. This meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>